Greetings and welcome to Crinkly Bottom's Back Passage. This is under consultation, for some reasons, a Noel Edmonds retrospective podcast this week as we cover an episode of Noel's House Party from 1996. I am one of your hosts, Ash Versus. My God, what have I done? And joining me for this gunge-ridden goulash of 90s pop culture... I sound funny and look hilarious. It's me, the amazing Cliff. As we dive into your crinkly bottom... Uh, you've already made that joke. <laughs> Damn it! Got there too late. And the date is 14th of December, 1996. Now, Noel did do something on Christmas Day, but it wasn't a proper house party. So for all extent and purposes, this is the Christmas edition of Noel's house party. At the top of the box office at this time, for one week only, we had Jingle All The Way... And at the top of the charts, we had a different beat by Boyzone. Every holiday season, there's one toy everyone has to have. I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move, and the Rocket Roar jetpack, and the Boomerang shooter. Getting it is every child's dream. Whoever doesn't can be a real loser. Finding it. You got the doll, right? Is this father's nightmare. I'll get that toy. I promise. Whoa! Nothing like waiting till the last minute, Howard, sir. Especially on Christmas Eve. Christmas spirit. The last one just left. Now, it's two fathers. This is one. One mission. Woo! Oh, the baby. <laughs> and every man for himself. I'm thinking maybe, though, know, we could join up as a team. You know, like, like Starskin Hutch. We're late delivery of Turbo Man at Toy Wars. Let's go. From the director of Mrs. Doubtfire. You want a Turbo Man for Christmas? Forget it. I'm not going to sit in your lap. Tony, show him. That was taken this morning. And from the director of the Flintstones. Don't open that up. No, no, no. Of course, there's uh, some assembly required. You know what you guys are? Nothing but a bunch of sleazy con men in red suits. Jingle all the way. You picked the wrong day. Put the cookie down! <laughs> Jingle all the way. What? A... Oh, I love this time of year because we get so many great... Christmas movies appear with the number one, and I would say that this is this this stands out as one of those cult classics. I think there's a certain generation, maybe a generation just below us, but really love this movie. And I love the fact that even as like recently as last year, there was a Turbo Man available yes. again in stores. But this was a really really big film and a relatively rare kind of. Um, box office success for Sinbad outside of America, starring opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger as a pair of fathers desperate to get their hands on the latest and greatest Christmas toy. It had its basis in reality, Cabbage Batch Kids. Teletubbies, only just around the corner. Yeah, Teletubbies only just around the corner. Furbies as well, there'd be another one. Barbies, Game Boys. This idea that a toy was the number one status symbol for kids and the length that parents would go to to get it. It also reminds me, you were saying about a toy that sort of reoccurs every couple of years or so in shops, and that is a Buzz Lightyear. It is almost like 
it's it's Andy's mum getting him that Buzz Lightyear for his birthday. This is this is the lengths she went to to get him that because that was a toy in 1990 Christmas or 94, 95. Can't remember which one it was, but that was like hot property. That was that was flying off shelves. Quite similar to as you said, we'll see Furbies, we'll see Teletubbies in the future. It's just it's just that 90s thing, isn't there? Hysteria over a certain product. Like, we're only a year... Or, well, actually, I think... I don't know if it is this Christmas or a year away from Star Wars becoming the big thing again. It just shows you that sort of 90s hysteria for getting that certain product. And later, what we would see with Black Friday sales in America, how they got absolutely bonkers towards the noughties as well i think it it sort of encapsulates that that anxiety you have as a parent that your child wants this one specific ruddy thing if you don't get them that thing does that mean they've been bad (laughs) because guess what father christmas puts a lot of weight on you with that i tell you (laughs) it's a really difficult part of the kind of santa claus mythos is like Mm. if your parents can't get the latest and greatest toy for whatever reason, be it fiscal, be it supply chain, does yeah. that make a child believe they're bad? Now, don't get me wrong. I love the whole Santa Claus thing, the Father Christmas thing. I think it's great. I think it's way less harmful than the Easter Bunny, which, you know, it's frankly just fucking terrifying. <laughs> but it also is very biased towards um, living status and societal barriers. There, there's an advert this year, and I don't know if you've seen it, but there's an advert this year that really hits home with that. A child that is trying to be good and just wants their family to have a home this Christmas. And the end bit like literally breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. It's, it's, it's devastating to think that there's kids out there that are, you know, going, living in those sort of circumstances over this Christmas. And yeah, as you said, it almost, it puts pressure on, families that are but yeah at the same time it does bring a lot of joy and things like that let's not let's not go ultra serious this is ucp (laughs) yeah i mean what we can talk about is eventually this film did get a sequel in 2014 a sequel in name only starring larry the cable guy who seemed to become the person that you would go to when you couldn't get your muscle bound original the tooth fairy the tooth fairy 2 starring larry the cable guy I haven't ever seen the sequel, I've got to admit. I I, I haven't, and I probably never will. <laughs> uh, one, one last note is, uh, this was the last collaboration between Sinbad and Phil Hartman, uh, Coneheads in 93, Houseguest in 95, and the last film to feature Hartman uh, to be released during his lifetime has sadly died in 1998. Nothing much to add about the boy's own song. I've got to admit, I, I listened back to it because I, I saw the name of it and I didn't recognize it and i hit play and i was like i still don't recognize this <laughs> until the chorus i think but it, it what it's not a standout boy's own song to me it isn't your christmas number one put it that way but also it's not the most awkward song to talk about so i'll take that <laughs> wait no take that weren't in the charts at that point but one note i did have looking at the production crew is there was some production work done on it by one trevor horn who is most well-known as being one of the Buggles. Video killed the radio star. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. He's had a hell of a career. Like, his his music career is cool. His production career in music is even more batshit. He's, he's worked with some amazing, amazing artists over his time. Cliff, it's Christmas 1996. What do you think the top of the video game charts is? 
Is it Sonic the Hedgehog? No. <laughs> That's a joke for Saturn fans. It's not going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. You never got Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I don't know. In the UK, it can't be. It can't be Mario yet. It can't be the N64 because that comes out a week year later. But what you got? What you got? It's FIFA. Oh. Many believe football is the greatest game on earth. Now you can prove it. If it's in the game, EA Sports, it's in the game. FIFA 97 to be specific, but there is actually something kind of fun I noticed on this. This is part of a five-year run of FIFA being the Christmas number one. Oh, that's boring. Even though FIFA 97, great game uh, for football fans out there because it was the first one, well, one of two famous ones, FIFA 97 and FIFA 98, that involved the indoor football mode, which put your five sides alongside each other. So it's one that's near and dear to my heart. But yeah, at the same time, FIFA's just really boring as a number one. It's like Call of Duty nowadays and things along those lines. It's just... Oh, I wanted something, you know, to lift my Christmas spirits. So let's talk a little bit about the man with the crinkly bottom, Noel Edmonds. Now, I'm going to say right here, I don't think over the future of UCP, this is the last time we'll encounter him in one form or another. So we'll leave some of his later controversies right up to the current day to one side. And we'll look at where he started and how he got to this point in his career. Because he started on pirate radio, uh, Radio Luxembourg, moving on to Radio One. And that was where he really found national fame. That was where he found an audience, a fan base. He was chatty. He was lighthearted. He had a good rapport with guests, a good rapport with listeners. He was also, even at that point, into the idea of playing pranks and jokes and like, you know, prank calls and people and stuff like that. And it wasn't long. You know, he had a good few years on radio and then he made the leap to television. He started presenting Swap Shop. Hello. Hello. Good morning to you. 9.30 on a Saturday morning. It's very nice to be back here on the Swap Shop. And, uh, well, you can see what the time is. In fact, would you like to come and travel through time? Come on in. Come into the studio. <sighs> nice to be back. And we've got an awful lot happening this morning, so let's immediately get on. And Maggie's going to feed the budgerigar. Have a look. Children's television. He was actually quite a good fit for children's television because... I mean, one, he was quite short. That sometimes helped when working with children. But also he did have quite a smiley, open face. He had a remarkably good face for television. And he always sounded excited. You know, he always sounded happy. He could sound very angry and very serious, particularly when he didn't think the cams were rolling. But he often just had this kind of warmth to him, which engaged with the audiences at the time. Eventually, he'd move over into adult television, including stints on Top of the Pops, um, Tele Addicts, which was running parallel to Noel's house party and would continue to run until 1998, and soon started on his way to becoming kind of like a very bankable, reliable Saturday night entertainer. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good evening. I can take this off now. I've just been outside checking. You'll be pleased to know everything outside is all right. Everything is... <laughs> Everything's hunky-dory out there. It's a bit cold, it's a little bit windy, but the hundreds of people waiting outside to entertain you and make your whole Saturday evening turn into a blur of excitement. They say everything outside is all right, so it will be all right. It started with the Late Late Breakfast Show, 
It was uh, fast-paced. It featured uh, jokes, gags, proto-gotchas. Also featured stunts, and that is what led to the show being cancelled. Because unfortunately, while someone was practicing for one of these stunts, a bungee jump, the carbiner failed, and the guy died. Oh no! And the show was just instantly cancelled. This is BBC One. Because of the tragic accident involving Michael Lush while preparing for tonight's edition of the Late Late Breakfast Show, the BBC has decided to cancel this and all further editions of the programme. So tonight, in place of the Late Late Breakfast Show and Every Second Counts, we're now showing the feature film One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Help! The BBC were held liable. The production team were held liable. Noel wasn't held liable because, at the end of the day, it was a health and safety issue. Um, the proper precautions were not taken by the production team. Settlements were reached. Noel Evans himself had statements basically just saying along the lines of that I will not work in television unless I can absolutely be certain that my production team can be relied on for the health and safety of everyone. Or words to that effect. He disappeared from television, or rather from fronting his own television shows for a few years, and then came back with the Noel Edmonds Saturday Roadshow. Good evening. This week the roadshow comes from the Georgievsky Hall in the Grand Palace of the Kremlin. We are here for an historic broadcast, a chess match between the Soviet Grand Master, Boris Prokrastinov, <laughs> taking hours with every move, and the little-known former British and Commonwealth shove halfpenny champion, me. <laughs> I'm going to win for Britain tonight, I can assure you. Now, this occupied around the same time slot as Noel's house party would. And the idea is that each week they would be in a different location. It would have different sets, different themes each week. But it was very complicated because you had to work out the logistics and coming up with a theme and coming up with a production. But a number of shifts were happening within the television sphere. One of which was the desire for something called a people show. Now, what I mean by that is shows that are revolving as much around the audience and the people at home as they are revolving around celebrities and names. As an example, Blind Date and Surprise Surprise with Cilla Black over on ITV. Surprise Surprise in particular. It was all about everyday people. In Blind Date's case, everyday people. Because we all know the Blind Date scandal. That's an episode in itself some point. I really hope we never actually cover Blind Date. Cilla Black's a horrible person. Noel Edmonds, no angel. But Cilla Black was just unpleasant. But it meant the BBC wanted to have that kind of show on their Saturday night. Meanwhile, Noel Edmonds and his producer Michael Lego were also talking about what could follow on from the Saturday Roadshow. They wanted to go live, but they also wanted to be in one place. You know, they wanted to go right. We've got a standing set because once you've got a standing set, half of the production problems are eliminated. You've, you're in a studio. You've got the standard production, the backups, this, that and the other. You've got the positioning, the consistent space for a live studio audience. And so Noel's house party was born of those two desires meeting. And actually, a lot of the things that we think of as the staples of the Noel's house party, the gotchas. NTV uh, in the earlier series, not present in the one we're going to watch. Wait until I get you home with the kids. The gunge tanks that all started and was refined on the Saturday Roadshow, but it became a staple of Saturday Night Television on the House Party. I think that by the time we get to this episode, by the time we get to the end of 1996. 
I had mostly stopped watching Noel's House Party. And looking back at this one, I can understand why. But series one through three, those early to mid-90s shows, Mm -hmm. when uh, we had a much better theme music, when Mr. Blobby was a bigger part of the role, when it just felt much more chaotic and anything could happen. It was quintessential Saturday night viewing. It was Noel's house party. It was gladiators. It was a generation game with a person we don't talk about and we won't talk about. Even though he's at the beginning of the video that we used as the source for this episode. (laughs) I mean, Cliff, what was your relationship with the house party? Did you watch it growing up? If you look at sort of how old I was, I was, you know, my very young years. So about sort of six, seven and going into my sort of preteen years i think house party especially those early series of house party are ingrained with that's what you watch on a saturday that it's it's quintessential family viewing now there was one character which i'm sure we're going to touch on in a second that i related uh, related to i suppose (laughs) that's a that's a big word for this character but blobby Obviously, as a six-year-old child, Mr. Blobby was everywhere. Like, we would go to Woolworths and you would get the little pick and mix, but you would get the little cans of pop and there was the pink lemonade from Blobby. So I was like, oh, well, I've got to have that. And obviously, I think one of the first tapes I bought out of my own money was Mr. Blobby's single. Um, Either the first time it came number one or Christmas number one. I can't remember which one. But I mean, like that was that was such a big part of my sort of childhood. And I remember we had this big Christmas party and me being the chauvinist I am, I wanted to make people laugh. And I was like, I'm going to create a Mr. Blobby costume, but it's a very specific type of pink. And I thought I could use my sister's dressing gown to do it. And it didn't quite work. And I got in a massive huff because I could not create a Mr. Blobby costume. Not even a lie. Not even a lie. <laughs> Listen, when we grew up in a house in, the, in a village um, just outside of Winchester, I got in this massive huff. So I think for me, that early years of Noel's house party was so important. Now, this is what you were saying. Like, you had stopped watching. Now, we go on to this episode and it's a completely different theme. And... In my head, I'm like, I don't even remember this theme. I remember the original theme, which is, I think, ingrained in a lot of our heads. The nil, 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 the classic sort of guitar riff, that. It's it's sort of ingrained in our heads. And then you come to this and you go, oh... Oh, it's it's not the it's not the Noel's house party I remember. No, I I'd completely forgotten they changed the theme music completely. I remember they changed up the intro to be based around a real house. Yeah, I remember from the stop that, motion. So. But I completely I mean the um the original theme music, the guitar led stuff, was by a guy called Ernie Dunstall. And even in this episode where it's no longer the theme, it's still present. Like mm-hmm. you still get the sting of it in the NTV intro. It's almost like this is very transitional. Obviously, you guys have just done um, Games Master. And it's those transitional years of Series 4, you know, where it still had a bit of that old Games Master. It's not quite dominant boys era of Games Master. This is how very much this felt, that it was like, it was trying to be something new, 
but at the same time clinging on or still having a lot of the sort of foundations of the old show in place. This is a point for Noel's house party where the viewers are beginning to turn off, Mm. where they're beginning to stop watching. It says a lot where I think series one through four, it spent most of its time in the top ten for Saturday Night Viewing. Series five had a few wobbles. Series six, it spends most of its time outside the top ten. Frequently viewing figures were dropping below nine million. Nine million now on a Saturday night would be considered like groundbreaking Mm. like five six million is considered good viewing on a saturday night now but back then 10 million 11 million 12 13 million plus and they were still around they just weren't watching Noel. like the national lottery which followed on from Noel's house party that'd be back above the tens that'd be back in the 13s but people had begun to get tired of the formula so series six saw some fairly major changes uh The set was rebuilt. It became the Great Hall. It was actually closer to the original design diagrams than previous years and was just bigger and more grandiose. They actually had some set dressing for the front of the audience, who also now had cagoules because it was a splash zone. Uh, Mr. Blobby is completely absent from this episode and was absent from most of Series 6 because at that point he had transitioned fully to children's television icon and was mainly present in Saturday mornings for live and kicking. Okay, right, what we're going to do is we're going to give Blobby 20 seconds, right? Yeah. He's going to rummage around all these mailbags to try and find you a prize. If he finds you a prize and it's the one you don't want, you can get him to blob on, but you might run out of time. If you get him to blob on and uh, he carries on and you run out of time, you lost everything. Well, we're going to try and get him to find you that computer. Is that clear? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, right, is everyone ready back there? Yeah. Simon, are you ready? Yeah. Charlotte, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Uh, Barry Killaby, who played Mr. Blobby from his inception through to, I think, like 2015, something like that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he was the original Mr. Blobby um, for for a good few years until the current guy, Paul Denson, took over. He still found work on Noel's house party as a character we will meet in the pre-title sequence, Noel's brother, Liam. So he's still got his foot in the door and he's still got to work with Noel. And in fairness, his working relationship with Noel and their chemistry on screen, it helps. It helps an episode that is clearly not a show at its finest. Mm -hmm. But it's why we got things changing. Wait Until I Get You Home disappeared. Um, Was it My Little Friends, which is a segment we'll cover a bit later, came in. Mm -hmm. NTV switched around a bit. The gotchas was ever present. We had new ways of gunging people. Tony Blackburn, who was present throughout most of the first five series, he makes one appearance in series six, and it's as part of a gotcha. There was a lot of changing around. Also, you notice that as the series goes on, Noel gets less and less brightly coloured. Like in this episode, he's wearing a lot of tweed. He looks mm. like he could be the lord of the manor. And I think something that shocked me in this episode, and I don't know if it's because of when it was filmed or if because the content didn't just land. There are long periods of time where the audience are just silent. It's eerie. There's times where you think that they're going to react to things and they just don't. In at least one of the segments, I empathise with them because it didn't get a reaction from me either. (laughs) Now, despite dipping in the ratings, this wouldn't be the end for Noel's house party. It would actually come back again. Liam would still be there. A number of people would still be there. Um, But the set would have reduced 
it was odd. They were desperately trying to find a way to reinvent themselves and make themselves more relevant again. So that went from 97 to 98. And then the last series, which went from 98 to 99, that never touched the top 10. Wait, no, I tell a lie. The last episode did. The last (laughs) episode, 20th of March, 1999, came in seventh of the top 10 for that day with 8.3 million. Other than that, uh, they were all in the teens and sometimes in the 20s. The first episode made it in at 13th. I think the lowest position I'm seeing here rated for Saturday night is a couple of times they hit 24th. Do you think that's because of the budget cuts that BBC were going through at this time? Because they, they get... I, I sort of read some bits and pieces saying that they gave Noel's House Party a massive cut of about 10%, which is huge seeing that the production values that that had originally. Do you think that had a a doing to it? It definitely impacted what they could do, but also it, it was a formula and that formula had its limitations. Mm. And I think that they struggled to reach outside of that formula and really what they actually ended up doing was just rehashing, keeping in mind that whilst Noel's House Party was bigger than the Saturday Roadshow, a lot of the ideas at House Party had originated on the Saturday Roadshow. I'm just scrolling through the ratings for the first like four or five series. Mm. Almost every episode is in the top 10, with the majority of them being in the top five. Wow, that's a hell of a drop. Series five is when things start to go a little pear-shaped, but they still manage to hold on to the top 10 for all bar two episodes, I think. So series five still good. And then series six, first two episodes are in the top 10, and then almost everything else that series isn't. You're looking at some of the guests that we get on this show as well. Obviously, we've got possibly the biggest thing at this present moment in time in, um, let's say, British pop culture. You mean Jim Bowen? Oh, yeah, obviously Jim Bowen, you know. But I, I, I think that if you look at, let's say, the guests that they do get on, especially for the Hot House, I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing that's must-see TV there, really, is there? Even the NTV, which is a very big, almost a gotcha level, NTV. Yeah. I'm sure for some people, it was great. I'm not a cricket fan. I wouldn't be able to tell you. There was one name. There was a couple of faces that I saw that I recognise, obviously. But I'm not a cricket fan. So I was like, meh. And if I watched that at that time, even at that age, I would have been like, I am drifting away from the television now. Why has that man got the name of a dog? What, you know, it's like literally that's... Oh, I just don't get it because it was just a test series that we were on. But we'll come on to that in a minute. We'll come on to that in a minute. So I think we've kind of set the scene. We set the scene for where Noel's house party came from, where it was going. And now we can see where it is as of the end of 1996. And content warning, I might get a bit sweary later because of who's getting the gotcha. Cliff, let's head on over to Crinkly Bottom. <laughs> Join Bob Monkhouse with Danny DeVito and Art Garfunkel performing Bridge Over Troubled Water. The National Lottery Live is in 55 minutes. First on BBC One, if you've got a broken watch, have it nearby. Yuri Geller is going to try and fix it at the house party. of him to send a limo for us. Yeah, I wonder why he's done that. Fair please. 
is this leftover segment from Halloween or something? Why is Noel... I... Well, one, one, why is Noel being chased? And two, he would get there a lot quicker if he didn't stop every five seconds to, <laughs> to look, look behind around. him. <laughs> and he keeps saying, like, he didn't know... Like, like he didn't quite know what it was. Well, they were pretty close to him as well. There are five of them. <laughs> Also in this as well, like, I'm an F1 fan, but as that limo pulls up with Johnny Herbert and Tiffany Dell, I, I literally, I, I didn't recognise Johnny Herbert at all, so I was like, who are they? And it wasn't until, like, late when we actually get introduced to them in the hot, uh, hot house. Yet again, I think that it's, um, they're not must-see TV, really, those two, those two guests. Weirdly, I recognise Tiffany Dell as well, although less from the racing and more from Top Gear. Yeah. Because, I, you know, my dad watched Top Gear. I watched what? Top Gear. This is the original Top Gear, not the later Top Gear. Although, was, didn't he once fill in for the Stig so on he, the second generation of Top Gear? I believe he did. and his, he was rumoured to be the Stig. He was massively yeah. rumoured to be the Stig um, in that sort of second generation of it. Um, but I'll be honest, you know, his racing career isn't spectacular. You know, he was really big in F3, looking like he would go into the Formula 1 series, did a little bit in British Formula 1, only actually raced twice in the actual Formula 1 in 1980, uh, raced twice in that series season, um, and then went on to endurance cars racing. And we'll come on to it later, but Noel has a massive dig at him at one point. And I'm like, oh! But Johnny Herbert, obviously, being more the more famous of the two, he had only won Silverstone the year before and was Michael Schumacher's big replacement at Benetton. So I, I think that, yeah... These are big and that like it is a big name with Johnny Herbert, but I, I suppose you know Top Gear is a big show at this point. Ish, it's not. It's not where it goes in the two thousands. No, definitely not. Because it's still also quite. Here's a sensible car. Here's another sensible car. We might look at something in British Racing Green if you're very lucky. <laughs> oh, here's a Jaguar E-Type. Oh, <laughs> we're not going to review it. We're just going to point at it. <laughs> Because we can't race in it because it costs so much to renew the ruddy thing. (laughs) Now here's a Rover, a nice sensible Rover, possibly a diesel four-door. I'm projecting that was the last car my dad drove when he was in this country. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say a Ford Mondeo, so you went a bit more upper class than I did. (laughs) Mate, there is nothing upper class about a Rover that sounds like a tractor. Especially when one of the door handles is a different colour because the door handle broke. Oh, my really? dad went to the scrapyard, found a door and just took the handle off. But the car was silver and the door handle was from a red car. <laughs> was it one of the ones with the pushy button to get in or was it still one of the... No, no, it was a one? it was a lifty flap. Oh, it was, it was the a lifty, lifty flap. flap. I, d- yeah. I missed a pushy button. I like a pushy button door. Oh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. We get our first glimpse in this episode of Noel's brother, Liam, who's acting as a bus conductor. And that's the gag, Cliff. It's a visual gag. It's because, like, you know, he looks like Liam Gallagher because Noel Edmonds is called Noel, like Noel Gallagher. (laughs) Hashtag joke. (laughs) You have to say hashtag great joke. If it's not, it's not a great joke. We already No, no, it's just hashtag joke. It's not hashtag great joke. Okay. It's not even even at that level. Wow. (laughs) Although I did get that there is actually a way more subtle joke coming up later in the episode to do with Liam which I only saw my second or third watch through and I'm like oh I get it now so Noel gets through the door and then we cut to inside to the standing set which you know it looks great it really does Mm -hmm. I love a framing device I love a standing set because it's multi-leveled as well because you can go upstairs and that staircase 
actually goes all the way around and leads to the audience. So actually there is like a complete circuit that you can do around. You know, he, he Noel would often come in at the back of the audience and then run round and down the stairs and stuff like that. And the crowd welcome him like a crowd in the 90s only can that have been well warmed up by a warm-up artist and also by Noel himself. He always made sure he went out before each show and addressed the crowd once they got five minutes to going live. Noel's huffing and puffing like he just ran a 10k <laughs> and he gives us a bit more acting but then huh, there's a doorbell. girls chasing me like that. I wish he wouldn't do that. It wasn't you. No, no, you smell really nice. Have you uh, been jogging? I'm nervous. Oh, quick, upstairs, girls. It's the Spice Girls. Like this, as I I alluded to earlier, culturally, at this point, you know, because we have had hashtag joke uh, with Noel Gallagher, Liam Gallagher, Oasis, but this is like, they are on the boil like Spice Girls are on the boil and they're part of the show people would have just tuned in for them be it towards the end of the show so they could get the national lottery at the end as well maybe looking at the viewing figures but it's it's huge they're huge guests their debut album has just been released the previous month Spice is out in Europe it's on its way to sell 1.8 million copies in its first kind of two months on the charts they were the fastest selling British act since the Beatles. That's just all there is to it. Uh, their singles were doing great. They had just switched on the um, the Christmas lights in Oxford Street. Mm-hmm. Like they, them switching on the Christmas lights in Oxford Street attracted half a million people to Oxford. That, that's balls. That is insane levels of crowds. Yes, that that's an anxiety riddled crowds. Oh, that will be that will be a hell of a push on Oxford Street. But just in case you needed any further evidence that this was indeed a fictional place and a fictional land, Noel is tired of being chased by women. <laughs> I literally have under my notes on here just the word bollocks. <laughs> there is a joke here which I think is something that we're not meant to get, but which Noel does. It's where Victoria says, have you been jogging as you smell nice? Yeah, I, I did quite get that. Because she says, I, I, you smell nice. And he says, I've just been jogging. I didn't get quite get that that at all. I That went I, so over my head. Either there was a joke that was over our heads or there was meant to be a back and forth of like, what's, you know, or like some, like Victoria's meant to go, what's that smell? Noel's was like, oh, it's me. I, sorry, I've just been jogging. And she's like, oh, you smell nice. Maybe yeah. that was the joke. And unfortunately, Victoria, acting ability, not quite there. <laughs> so she just did the setup and the punchline and gave Noel nothing to work with. I think you've nailed it. I think that's exactly what it is. But Noel not orders them upstairs. And as he's given their brief, you can sort of just see the legs of Mel C and uh, Jerry Halliwell as they're standing on the step. They're doing something behind him. And I was like... Oh come on, pan out! I want to see. They must have been poking their like poking their tongues out or whatever behind him. But you can just see their legs. There's like this. I love the Spice Girls at this point. There is a chaotic energy to them. You know, there is like a matter of that. I'm I'm surprised they did not try to run into the shot itself. But you can see them mucking about on the stairs. You can just see their legs as they're prattling about. We covered this a bit with the Dimensions in Time episode. Yeah. This is a show that runs. 
Like it doesn't just go along at a pace, it runs. No segment is going to run longer than five minutes. And in fact, you know, a lot of these sections will run less than five minutes. And if they stop working or people forget their lines, Noel will just cut them. I, on some level, respect that. But when a show isn't working and tonight's show, for a lot of reasons, doesn't work, it really just feels like you're watching the Saturday Night Light Entertainment that went wrong which would be an amazing concept for a Saturday night show, instead of the play that went wrong. That's literally what I was just about to say. It is like the play that went wrong, isn't it? Oh, well, this didn't quite work. This didn't quite work. This hasn't had any impact. The crowd haven't made any uh, acknowledgement of this person being on the screen. Or they they haven't noticed the massive alien walking down the stairs. (laughs) We'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah, it's got that feel, that energy, that, that chaos. It's chaos. Oh, Cliff, I've come over all funny. I'm getting this mental projection of a massive fucking fraudster. This is the party. We've got too much to get in. I promise you. Oh, no. My watch is broken. Oh, what's happened? What's happened there? It's completely broken. We are going to have some fun, aren't we? You know, what made me famous is the fixing of broken watches, bending the spoons on through the airwaves, shall we try to do that? Let's have a little bit of mincy fun, (laughs) a bit of quirky naughtiness, something eerie, well, oory, in the house. (laughs) Oh, oh, let me, let me just check your pulse. Let me get my watch, oh, my watch is broken. I can't, I can't, I can't count your post. Your pulse. You can't count my post or my pulse. (laughs) You haven't bought me dinner. You're so leaving, you're leaving in that end though, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, probably. But Yuri Geller is here. And he's wearing the same sweatshirt that he was wearing on Games Master. He's still pimping that Encounters magazine. In fact, every bit of footage we see with Yuri Geller in, yeah. in this episode, he's promoting Encounters. He's on national TV. He's promoting Encounters. He's meeting a Radio Times journalist for a lunch interview, which is not being photographed. He's wearing an Encounters sweatshirt. He's all about the hustle. He's all about the brand. It it just makes me laugh so much. He's like Homer Simpson when Homer Simpson goes to his wardrobe and all it is is just the same fucking Encounters jumper. (laughs) Now, Edmund, if you dig into his background and his Mm. past and his present, actually, he's quite spiritual. He actually believes in a lot of supernatural phenomenon. But I can't get a read on him here because I think he is spiritual I think he does believe in the supernatural but I also think he knows that Geller is a bullshit artist yeah I think he is a fairly spiritual person I think he you know he said things in the past that would assume he is but he knows that allegedly Yuri Geller might be full of bullshit (laughs) well we say allegedly the gotcha contains some footage that would be used again and again yeah. Right up until, like, um, oh, I can't remember the exact year, but, like, James Randi, mm-hmm. who had already gone toe-to-toe, like, we talked about James Randi when I last went off on one about Yuri Geller. <laughs> he would use footage from Noel's house party to show what a fraud Yuri Geller was. Oh. That's how important that footage is, and it makes me wonder what we didn't see, what was cut out, because... Yuri Geller is also very litigious, and Noel Edmonds probably wanted to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And I also think that is why Yuri Geller is so prevalent through this episode. Other yep. gotcha stars don't appear nearly as much as this one. There's a lot to get into. They end the show with the gotcha, and I think it's a very, very smart move to do so. Everyone here in the studio, you do have broken watches, don't you? Come on, pull them out. Everyone, pull them out. It's so good. I, gather it's bro- I got some broken watches from you here. 
Now, people at home, if you have broken watches, maybe you've seen me do this before. Everyone in Great Britain, what I want you to do now, although your watches are broken, very quickly wind them up. Everyone, you too. And now, this is very strange, place them, put them on the TV set. If you have spoons, forks, place them on the TV set too. But Noel's watch is broken, and that's when we get our first kind of like attempt at something wondrous to show Yuri Geller's mental powers. He's encouraging people to pull out their broken watches, to get some spoons, some forks. At this point, I am 90% certain you hear Noel say, this is all going to fail. <laughs> I love it how it goes to the crowd and everyone's perplexed, sort of looking at each other like... Were we meant to bring broken watches? Like, do you know? Do you know that moment in school where you hadn't done your homework and somebody yeah. had announced it? There was that moment of like, you look at that front row, they're looking backwards and forwards at one another, going, "Ah, oh, fuck, were we meant to do something?" <laughs> I think the only people in the audience that have the broken watches are the people in the few front rows where they've actually got the kind of the tables in front of them, like mm. the dining table elements, like basically the people in the splash zone. They came in, they sat in the splash zone, they've been given their cagoules, they've been given their waivers, and they've been given a Tesco's carrier bag of cutlery and watches. <laughs> Would make sense. <laughs> Noel is less convincing at selling this than he was at selling dimensions in time, and that's saying something. <laughs> and that was, that was definitely scripted. <laughs> and now, you have to help me. Yes. On the count of three, you people here, everyone in Great Britain, we are going to shout out the word WORK! You have to believe that oh. your mind... I'm, I'm only the trigger. It's not a good word in Crickly Bottom. <laughs> All right, let's go. One, two, three, WORK! One more time. Everyone at home, open up your mind. One, two, three, WORK! And the last time. One, two, three, WORK! Now. But Yuri gets the audience and everyone at home to shout work three times. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had things break on me and I've shouted work at them three times. Doesn't do jack shit. <laughs> but apparently watches should start working. Spoons may jump off TVs. Anything could happen. <laughs> and then we have a hotline call, which anyone at all, anyone who experiences something can anyone. call. Yeah, anyone at all. They don't have to be on Yuri Geller's payroll. Anyone at all. <laughs> can call this number 0181 811 8888. Not quite the going live, but, you know, a couple of doors down. I love it when he shouts to the audience after doing this, going, is it working? Like, like their watches. And it's just their first moment of pure silence from them. It was glorious. But I also love Noel, who's just rolling with it at this point. He's like, put spoons on your TV, put broken TVs on your TV. <laughs> Put your Corvette on the TV. <laughs> yeah, the rear axle of a Ford Cortina. <laughs> Moments like this where you go, oh, he knows. He knows. He's just trying to protect his product. But at the same time, he's having a laugh with it. <laughs> but I tell you what, this whole putting spoons on top of your television, he'd be bollocks now. They'd fall off anyway. <laughs> Flat panel TV. That's not going to work. You have to get. You have to spend it forever, fucking trying to balance the thing. They will be coming flying off. <laughs> you can tell how seriously they're taking this phone in because they put Liam on the phones as well. <laughs> He's mad for it. You're not safe in your own back garden. You're not safe inside the house. Your car isn't safe. You're not safe in the cinema. 
you're not even safe in France. NTV, nowhere is safe. There's a lot to be said about the NTV that's coming up later. I'm looking forward to getting to it because even though it doesn't work, it does work. And the fact that it does work is actually the most impressive thing about it. But we've also got cash for questions. Hey, it's a topical joke because this was around the time of the MP scandal of cash for questions. There's there's so much like I, I had to go back and find out what they were talking about because he's talking about... Tory MPs being on the floor and like there's there's obviously bits in the newspaper referring to it later. Man, you want to talk about political bias with the BBC? Holy shit. This one's <laughs> a good one. They are definitely left they are left leaning at this point in time. Well, the weird thing is, Noel isn't. Isn't what at this point as well? Or is he is he I always think so. He's oh. always been anti-immigration, that much I can tell you. <laughs> But anyway, we've got cash for questions, which is fairly similar to grab a grand. Mm-hmm. And the idea is you call in and you have to guess what the professor is probing. It's basically Brian Blessed in a shock wig with an endoscope. <laughs> he looks just like Brian Blessed and he's doing that. <whistles> that whistle as he does it as well. They just they just put a shock wig on Brian Blessed. You know, Brian Blessed was there. They recorded all of them in the space of the afternoon. And that's it. He's got them to just refer back to. So, of course, you could be in Christmas money. Professor, where are you prodding your probe? Where is it going this week? I'll try and work it out. Where is the professor prodding his probe? All these numbers. 0891 114444. You could be the person I'm talking to and you could be in the way for some Christmas lolly, some cash and a dash. But anyway, we get this clip of the endoscope and it looks like it's being stuck up Santa's ass. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that would be quite painful, wouldn't it? Oh, be spiky. But this is a feature that was only here for this season, even mm. though it was very similar to Grab a Grand. In fact, yep. it was near identical. But you had three parts. The first part is this, which is where you have to guess what the professor is probing. Then you have this wheel of misfortune thing, which we'll get to. And then there's the actual stumbling around in a darkened basement. Yeah, because the more questions you get on the Wheel of Fortune is depending on how many seconds insert celebrity has to rummage around in the dark and pick up the bags. But between cash for questions, between who's in the wardrobe, between who's in the paper, between who... Fucking doorbell again. I'll deal with it. Yes! Peter Pan. Well, yes, uh, easy to be confused, but uh, I'm afraid the grey is starting just to come no, in a little bit at no. the side. I'm Peter Pan. What's that? Oh, oh, What's that? Um, well, What's it's, it's the washing instructions. Use query only. Oh, right. And what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm on my way to Never Neverland. Michael Jackson's place. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the three wise men. That should get you there. Bit thin the ground around here, aren't they? Why does that keep going off? I don't know, but hey, Carol Smiley. I would not object to 1990s cow smiley being at the front door. Now, both of us checked independently. She was not in Panto this year, as far as we could tell. This was just part of, a, a, I guess, meant to be kind of a supernatural running theme for this episode because of Yuri Geller, because we get an X-Files spoof a bit later as well. And she's got UFO on her back. Mm-hmm. But I will say, while we were checking the Panto archives, oh. which I love the Panto archives, we did discover that there was a Peter Pan with Michaela Strachan, and there was also a Peter Pan with Brian Blessed as Captain Hook and Jet as Tiger Lily. <laughs> and then there was another one with Ross Kemp 
who was still who was still a Mitchell brother at this point as Captain Hook as well. So that was fairly entertaining little break. <laughs> oh, and Mr. Blobby was in um, Cinderella in Grimsby. In Grimsby. <laughs> I wonder if that is Liam playing Mr. Blobby or if that's just someone in a Mr. Blobby costume. Because there was that Mr. Blobby costume that was on eBay this year, yeah, didn't there? Because <laughs> so, it's also, it's only a f- drawing of Mr. Blobby. So it could be a good Mr. Blobby costume or it could be a bad one. Oh, also in this year, in the uh, Theatre Royal, we did have um, Russ Abbott as Captain Hook in Peter Pan. Russ oh, wow. Abbott, who was uh, in one of the first big pantomimes I saw. I've still got my uh, programme from Jack and the Beanstalk back in the day. That's cool. Timmy Mallet was in a production of Cinderella's Buttons. There we go. There were some great pantos. None of them involved Carol Smiley, who at this point would be, I guess, alternating away between Holiday and also appearing in the very new and very exciting Changing Rooms. We're saying about culturally important Changing Rooms. That was must-see TV. That was chatting over a cup of tea what happened on changing rooms that night before because i think that sort of style of tv show was very very popular in america like that whole thing of oh we're gonna send you away and we're gonna completely redo up your house and there was there was just always those urban myths of their oh yeah they did up someone's house and they really didn't like it but this sketch so carol's dressed as peter pan Mm-hmm. There's a sign on her back saying UFO, which apparently stands for Use Fairy Only. She's off to Neverland. There's a Jackson joke. Thankfully, they move on fairly quickly. I reckon the Jackson joke is there because Yuri Geller was close friends with Michael Jackson up until Indeed. a point. Do you remember the really big, was it BBC interview with Michael Jackson? Yeah, the one including... Martin Bashir. Yeah, Martin Bashir, yeah. That happened because of Yuri Geller. Did it really? He brokered that interview. But towards the end of his life, Michael Jackson apparently had a, a piece of paper that he wrote his enemies on, and Yuri Geller's name was on that. Oh no, Yuri, what did you do? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's move on. But apparently, <laughs> so but apparently she needs to get to Neverland, and uh, Edmonds is like, oh, follow the three wise men, and Carol Smiley basically says everyone in Crinkly Bottom is an idiot, which yep. not far removed from the truth. <laughs> and then we get to this bit, which where the structure of the skit just falls apart does Noel believe in fairies no do you believe in fairies no do you believe i don't know what this was going for here other than i think i think this was production playing a trick on Noel. do you think because he, yeah. he kept answering in the same tone of kept doing that over and over again and it felt awkward maybe there is a bit of news or a bit of pop culture from the time that we've just missed out on mm. but i do love how he does just give the um the science the gallery of like take her away almost that yeah she's not gonna fly go and lift her up on her bloody ropes go on <laughs> but uh carol smiley has actually been mostly retired from television now for about a decade mm-hmm. uh she's launched a few brands she's had a few fashion interests but also if you want she's a qualified human celebrant with the humanist society and can now conduct uh, non-religious weddings, funerals, and baby namings. Oh, that's really cool. I don't know if she'll be dressed as Peter Pan, but I'm sure <laughs> if this cash was rich enough, she'd do it. <laughs> oh, now I want to get married to Pete, with Peter Pan. What, to Carol Smiley? <laughs> yeah, two Carol Smiley. To be honest, yeah, not to anyone else, just two Carol Smiley. Sorry, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, this episode doesn't hang around. This is worse than bad influence. It's like, well, that joke failed. Let's move on to the next one. Oh, look at that. Oh, 
oh, my little fairy. Are you hurt? Yes, I am. Oh, you poor I thing. flew all that way and nobody waved. See? Didn't wave. Furthermore, my bumpty hurts. Oh, does it? Oh, right. Okay, well, we've got a special Christmas one of these. We've got the fairy, we've got the elves, we've got the reindeer, and we've got my little friends. Oh Christ, this is harrowing, because as soon as Edmunds closes the door on Peter Pan, his fairy falls off the Christmas tree and declares that it's hurt its bum-bum. Or it's bot-bot. <laughs> bot-bot. And no one waved as it fell. Yet again, another joke that sort of went a bit over my head. No one, I fell all this way, and no one waved as I fell. Huh? <laughs> this section is the follow-on from Wait Until I Get You Home, mm. which was a pre-tape as well. It was meant to appear as live because Noel went down into a basement dungeon set where kids and their parents would be there and it'd be... Blah, 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 blah. Whole setup. This was now more a bit more NTV, a bit more candid camera, and the idea was always that there'd be some young kids in a school possibly being put into detention for some reason, and a couple of puppets uh, voiced by Noel and one other. And what we get here is a bit of a Christmas special. And I'm going to play you one of the first clips now. And I am amazed none of these kids ran screaming. Is your name Simran? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I've always wanted to meet you, Simran. This angel sounds like Satan. <laughs> I've always wanted to meet you. All right, for God's sake. <laughs> Tell so me, do you freaking... like sacrificing goats? <laughs> I am the evil reindeer Santa does not use. <laughs> Actually, the reindeer sounded fine. The yeah. reindeer just sounded like one of those Tommy voice changes that were popular at the time. Yeah, I suppose. Whereas, yeah, the fallen angel, literally the fallen <laughs> angel, sounded like a fallen angel. I do, I do wonder who else was in the room because all the kids kept looking off camera. They kept looking over to the left, so it must be either teachers or parents or something like that is over there. Someone they trust is over there to say, I don't like this, this is disconcerting because kids do pull that face. And I think, the first, I think the first child, he looks across and there is a moment where his hands are in his mouth and I'm like... Oh no, he's scared. He's like that nervous child. (laughs) They're all going to need counselling. All of those kids are going to need counselling. Apart from the one at the end. (laughs) It was like, what, you want help to fly? All right then, I'll give you a hand. It's a little warrior. Well, I'll tell you when. Don't do it straight away because I have to get ready. All right? Pick me up. Now, when I say three... You just push me up into the air and I'll fly. Okay? So, one, two, three, go! (laughs) So basically, this kid with an earring, he basically, the angel's like, oh yeah, you need to throw me into the air so I can fly back to the top of the tree. And the kid's like, I get to throw you? Cool. (laughs) Yeets the angel. Oh, sorry, someone's got that copyrighted now. Yeets the angel up into the air and it hits the ground. So he does it again. And then he does it again for good measure without being asked. And I think this, this kid's too old to be believing any of this stuff. He probably figures something's up. So he's just like, fine, you're a sentient stuffed toy. I'll toss you about a bit. 
It's all good. I love how they have to sort of turn around to him and say, when I say throw me, because they know the kid's just going to lug it before they can set up the joke. Sorry, what was that? I couldn't hear you because I was throwing you. (laughs) Oh, wrong age. That's a year six child. I have a year six child. They're more clued on than the average child. No, don't do that. (laughs) To be honest, the the other kids weren't giving them much. So maybe they were like, can we get a slightly older kid in that might just give us something to work with? Has anybody got any aunties that work for a drama school? Can we get get someone in? My God, I'd have loved a house party presented by Dominic. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Dominic's house party would be great. Well, actually, that was just series seven. (laughs) (laughs) It would jump the shark. Unlike UCP. I hear you. I know, I know you're listening, Mr. Dominic Diamond. He doesn't listen to <laughs> us. The calls are already coming in. Alice, Alice, tell us about the calls we've been receiving. Well, Anne, uh, this is doing my head in already. After just eight minutes since Yuri Geller came through our front door, our 20 telephone lines have been buzzing with people telling us of their spooky doings in their own homes. Let me give you a couple of examples. Trevor Griffiths in Kent there says a spoon jumped off his television as soon as Jodie Geller came on, which is usually my reaction when Noel comes on. Miss Natasha Vizard in Brixton, London, says a clock on top of her television has not been working for ages, and now it's working, so she's had her clock repaired at the expense of the BBC. But we're back from the VT now, and Noel is wearing an unconvincing wig that makes him look somewhat like a bearded Anne Robinson, and Liam is wearing another wig on top of his existing wig. So a bit of wigception there. And they're basically pretending to be on Watchdog as Anne yeah. Robinson and Alice Beer. It's, it was good because it was one of those moments of, I get this reference. <laughs> well, apparently the phone lines are being lit up with occurrences and events, and I'm sure they're all entirely real. Trevor's spoon jumped off his TV set. The fact mm-hmm. that the cat was also on top of the TV set has nothing to do with it. <laughs> A broken clock sat on top of the TV for ages has suddenly started working. All they needed to do was wind it. Or the husband's just replaced the batteries. <laughs> why, why would you keep a broken clock I on top of a know. TV? Why would you have it up? But we don't have time to stay here. That segment ran for at least 45 seconds. It's time to head on to the next thing. driver they don't have to be fit they just sit there they twiddle with the wheel and they just count the amount of money that they're earning Herbert began his formula one career with benetton then he joined lotus and he won the british grand prix at silverstone in 95 in a benetton tiffany dell has raced in almost every category touring cars dragsters rally cars gt and formula one and he's a star of top gear and they're here. Now, we've already sort of alluded to these two guests already. We've got Johnny Herbert and Tiff Needell. As I already said, Johnny Herbert racing for the likes of Lotus, Benetton, Sauber and Jaguar, which was uh, what Red Bull Racing would become later on, uh, which are very dominant in the F1 series at this present moment in time. And then obviously we've got Tiff Needell. Um, there's, there's lots of back and forth jokes between the two of them, like... Oh, well, F1 drivers, you know, oh, they, they only have to race for uh, t- two hours um, because he's, uh, Noel's asking, do you have to actually be fit to be an F1 driver? Needell comes out and says, well, us endurance racers, you know, we have to do four times Grand Prix in a race. And I was like, mate, don't, don't make out like... To be honest, this is me in wrestling. Where I got, I used to work for wrestling promotion. What did you do? I put out chairs and was backstage a bit, and then I, 
I've gotten a couple of shows outside. That's literally it. He's like, oh, well, I'm a professional racer. And then you have a look. Apart from touring cars, he has a he has a bit of a career with touring cars. But as you said earlier, he's mainly known at this point as being a Top Gear host. Because he hosted Top Gear between its inception to its uh, rebirth, uh, which we'll get only um, four or so years later. Darted in 1987 on Top Gear. Mm-hmm. He was around for quite a good amount of time, like almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. And even Noel knows that he is a bit of like that, aha, look, I'm a race car driver, because he says about the champagne shaking, and Noel goes, yeah, but but you didn't do much of the champagne shaking, did you? E.G. meaning he hasn't won anything, which I was a bit like, man, that's quite funny. Seeing Johnny Herbert is still considered that he is a possible contender to you know be that sort of driver that replaces a hill later on yeah it is it is quite funny when he sort of makes that joke i mean he also won a le mans which is pretty impressive i mean that is a hell of a thing to take what was that 91 92 sometime it it was in the past like he'd won le mans by this point he did yeah you're you're quite right i suppose and then where he was he was third in le mans 1990 um so and then he uh, was top of his uh top of his field only a couple years later so maybe me critiquing him is a bit too harsh but at the same time he's not a he isn't as well known a face i think at being a race car driver he's not the most famous sporting personality we get on this episode of house party but he gets but they both get more time than that person but we've got johnny and tiff both of them are dressed ready for their school pe class looking like they've been dressed directly from the uh, lost property bin tiff's actually wearing newcastle united shorts and i was like oh that's unlike the bbc you know it's actually allowing someone to show their colors but yeah Noel basically talk shit about racing drivers and then we hoof it across the set where there's two exercise bikes and two Christmas trees and it's simple how they're going to win this the quicker and harder they pedal the quicker the tree lights up and supposedly whoever gets the top will make their angel have a lovely time in other words just explodes the top of the Christmas tree just firework streamers start coming out of it but we get underway and the absolute highlight of this bit is the fact we get some of the Allman Brothers band's Jessica, a.k.a. also the theme to Top Gear. And I'm like, oh, this is a lovely bit of music. I do like that piece of music. Absolute banger of a track. There's a quick joke about Jeremy Clarkson just being sat at home opening another beer. A joke that is actually as relevant today as it was then. <laughs> and despite Johnny Herbert being ahead throughout almost the entire thing, Tiff wins. Literally seconds before... Like, he makes... Noel's making the joke about Clarkson and saying that he's so far behind. And it's like, Herbert is just like, do-do-do-do. He's on a lovely little cycle at that point. And he slows down. He completely slows down. Nidal literally takes it so seriously at that point. So, so seriously. It just hammers it home to the point that his Christmas tree sparks come out and um, he gets to run over and finally get his champagne moment. And those people in the splash zone get... Splashed. We'll get your back. Johnny Herbert, ladies and gentlemen. Tiff! The champagne! The champagne bottle! Let's let's open and celebrate! Here we go. Right. There we go. That's it. Well done. It's basically a foam cannon built into a champagne bottle prop. It's essentially audience bukkake. 
You know, it, it's just they're covered in a mysterious white substance. <laughs> There's one poor bloke that is absolutely... He looks like he should be on the set of Ghostbusters in that final scene. He is literally covered head to tail in white. He's, he's, he, took the, he took the brunt of that explosion. And as we cut away to move on to the next segment, because TikTok, TikTok, my watch is still working and so is the production teams, we do get a brief shot of one of the cameramen almost going arse over tit. <laughs> I miss that. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Ah, yes. Crinkly Bottoms disgraced MP has resigned. He wants to spend more time with the pavement. <laughs> As he sent me a Christmas card. I think it was from him. I'm certain because it keeps falling over every time I try and stand it up. Oh, this was hot news in the village. The crinkly bottom plastic surgeon is being sued by a woman who asked for her chest to be augmented. She's got three now. <laughs> but Noel has the latest edition of the crinkly bottom observer, which says on their front, another toy vanishes. Mm-hmm. As we stand here at the tail end of 1996, six months away from open gesture, smiling teeth Blair becoming prime minister. Also on the back as well for those sports fans, it's saying about it's making Shearer sound like a sheep shearer. But it's talking about obviously earlier that year, uh, the British transfer record was break- broken when um, uh, for £15 million, um, Alan Shearer moved from Blackburn Rovers to Newcastle United. Um, may I just say, the previous record also involved Mr. Alan Shearer, and that was from my good football club, Southampton Football Club, to Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, but for £15 million. At that time, that was huge amounts of money. £15 million. In football now, that is nothing. Absolute diddly. Like, that's a bog standard transfer, about 15 million quid. This whole bit that follows about uh, Tory MP vanishing and getting a card from his Tory MP, his, his local MP that keeps falling over, this is all about Sir Nicholas Scott, who was deselected like literally the week that this went out, maybe slightly before, followed a vote of no confidence from his constituency which itself followed several incidents, including drink driving and being arrested for drink driving, failing to stop at a road accident that he caused, and also the kind of final nail in the coffin, being found unconscious in a gutter during the Conservative Party (laughs) conference. (laughs) What are you talking about? I think that's pretty standard for uh, today's politics, isn't it? (laughs) Oh yeah, it just shows that 1996 was truly a different world. That was seen as disgusting. Now it would be seen as the norm. (laughs) But we get a joke about three tits, risque yeah. for this time of night, and then there's a football joke. At a crinkly bottom wanderers game today, three men were sent off in the first half. They played the rest of the match without the referee and two linesmen. <laughs> and we then see the crinkly bottom wanderers making their way past the telephone lines, all old men, and then a young Ian Wright. Our second, no, our third, because Johnny Herbert was on Games Master as well. So this is our third Games Master contestant that has crept into tonight and I said when he comes down they quieten them down and and Noel tells them to shut up at one point but they're chanting Ian right 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 as he's coming down the stairs now this Ian Wright compared to series 2 Ian Wright which we've only just covered because that was one of our bottom 5 episodes for those that aren't Patreon supporters go go and join the Patreon community because you get to listen to that episode it was a lovely journey um, however yeah for this Ian Wright he's more confident there's more the Ian Wright which is now a national treasure 
discussion that Ian Wright is one of my favourite human beings on the planet. There is more of that to him. He's funny here. He's charismatic. He knows where he's he's unlike Victoria. He's learned his lines. <laughs> he's also doing a very good job of being like a kind of a slightly bashful, embarrassed schoolboy. How do things go to go today then? Uh, what was the result today? What, what day is it? Uh, it's Saturday. Uh, we lost. You lost. What was the score? Seventeen nil. Seventeen nil. That's a whitewash. You were just walked over. What, what happened? Well, what happened was that the other team didn't turn up, and you know that put us off a bit. And, <laughs> and you know we, we were lucky to get nil, yeah. but it would have been nil nil. But we f- forgot to go change round at half time. But I love Ian Wright's whole bit here about losing the match 17-0, mm-hmm. despite the other team not turning up. <laughs> it would have been a nil-nil draw, but they forgot to swap ends at half-time. See, these are football jokes I get. Hashtag great joke. Hashtag great joke. I love the whole joke of, did you appeal to the referee? And he says, I suppose so, because he joined us in the baths afterwards. I proper laughed at that. That was a proper nice, silly dad joke. I love that. <laughs> and then there's a joke harkening back to Noel's early career and it's like well why aren't they wearing the football kit and he's like well at the end of the game they all swapped them because that's probably a multicoloured swap shop joke because all of the tops they're wearing are different tops they're multicoloured that's brilliant until you did until you said it might be representative of his career I was like oh yeah that's that would be a clever if that is the hashtag great joke that is a hashtag great joke clip here now we get a trailer for one minute of prime time which thank fuck we're not covering this week and then it's <laughs> on to ntv or should that be n team v this is a big one this is a huge one this is a massive one this is n team v and who are the group of people that we are now setting up? It's almost a gotcha, really. They're in this hotel. Now, what's interesting about this hotel? It's in Bulawayo, in Zimbabwe. And that dish on the roof of the hotel is sending signals across the town of Bulawayo to the cricket ground, where there's another ground station that can beam the signal to a satellite over the equator. And that satellite then sends the signal all the way back to the United Kingdom. Now, so that we can get my pictures, crinkly bottom pictures, all the way over to Bulawayo, we have a second satellite. I know it looks like a set of golf clubs, but there it is. Sending signals to Johannesburg, where the largest dish is that we can find. So we then have to have a third satellite to do the final link between Joburg and Bulawayo. So, there are the communications. This is going to cause quite a sound delay and also gives us an enormous opportunity for a massive cock-up. There's one part of this I really enjoy, and that is how they've done it, the explanation of how they've done it. It's actually very similar to what we still get nowadays, like with uh, data centers and uh, your sites and your, your, your cells and stuff like that. People don't quite understand that a network isn't just, you're attaching to that mast. No, there's a bit more to that than this than that. Anyway, that's my work rant out the way with bye. <laughs> If you wanted to do a kind of live video connection to Zimbabwe now, mm. it still wouldn't be the easiest. Zimbabwe does not have the best internet infrastructure, but it would no, be it doable. Doesn't. You could do it using the same platform we're using. You could do it using, I don't know, Zoom, mm-hmm. Skype, Google Hangouts, 
what Microsoft Teams, whatever. But 1996, this NTV doesn't work from a comedy point of view that well. Part of that is because of the delays and part of it is just because it's not a great NTV. Mm-hmm. But technologically, this entire setup involves three separate satellites and 135,000 miles distance where one signal's being sent in one direction, another signal's being sent in another direction, then has to be bounced back off that onto another satellite to go back down again. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, it works. It works pretty well. The delay isn't that bad, I don't think. I, I was expecting it to be a lot worse. Like, there were moments, like, for Sky Sports in their early... In- well, they were a couple years in now in 1996 where they would go to grounds just, you know, to Nottingham Forest and there would be huge delays in that conversation. But there's only a two-second delay at most. It's not nothing huge there. Sometimes it feels longer, but I think that's because there's no reaction from the audience and therefore yeah. you're waiting for the... Uh, the subjects to laugh. Christmas comes early for me if this works. 135,000 miles these signals are going to go. Who would we do this for? Well, we'd do it for a bunch of gentlemen called the England Cricket Team. They are on a tour at the moment and tomorrow they have their first international one-day match and the TCCB know all about this. We've got their support and David Lloyd, the coach, has helped us with this. And so we can actually go over to the hotel dining room where at this moment obviously they can't see us they have no idea that they're live but they're just having a a, a final get together and a relaxation before the big thing starts we've got the england cricket team oh yay cricket oh (laughs) and they're over in zimbabwe for an international one day match and we cut to them on camera seeing them having a nice dinner in the hotel they have no idea they're live on national television and thankfully they are therefore on good behavior so then they bring down a name i do recognize they bring down dicky bird and the whole idea is they're going to act like dicky bird has sent a videotape good luck message to them which i don't know if that's something that happens often but that would immediately have me suspicious mm-hmm. and so while this message will be made to look videotaped on their end it will actually be live from the great house so all it takes is one misplaced laugh or fart for all of this to go wrong. Surprise! Hello, boys. How are you? If this has all gone to plan, then the tape made it through customs, and you'll all be sitting in your hotel the night before the first One Day International. I want to wish you all the very best for tomorrow. Now, you must remember, no larking about. No surprises. You should have, you should head straight off to bed after this for a good night's sleep. But what follows is Dickie Bird, bless his cotton socks, really not understanding what an auto cue is or how to use one. <laughs> you can see he loses his line a couple of times. He's like, uh, uh, uh. Like, he looks like shell shocked as he loses whereabouts he was on the script. But as I said, thankfully, he was saying not making a noise. This audience ain't making a noise, thankfully. <laughs> so Dickie gives his message and says, oh, there's someone else that wants to say something. And Noel Edmonds pops up and says, for fuck's sake, don't swear you're live on British television. <laughs> they they seem a couple of drinks in as well. I think it's and Andrew Goff who's on the right hand side and he's waving his arms around and all like, don't get the don't get the microphone near him. <laughs> 
There's been times on, I think, I think he's nowadays on Talk Sport, or he used to be, where he he used to make the occasional fluff up. (laughs) So the lag on this isn't too bad, but it is kind of funny because there'll be a gag and then there'll be a pause and then there'll be some laughter. And it's all from the cricket team. The audience are mostly not in on this. And I don't know, maybe it's because they can't see the team. They can't see the reactions. Maybe they can't hear Noel very well. I don't know. This isn't just an NTV. There is also kind of an element of gotcha to this. Yeah, because there's a TV show that is there with them and they're testing out products that will make cricketing better in the future. And we come to the first one, which is a bat with a spring attached inside the handle, which makes hitting better. So what do you think? How does it hold up? It's not too bad. Spring, it's a good idea. You know, normal shaped bat with a good strong spring. So it's a good idea. It's something to work with. Might hit the ball a bit further, a bit harder. Who knows? And it's given to a player called Alan Malali. Um, and he was once described as a poor batsman. So I'd one one why are you giving it to a poor batsman to use? I don't know. Supposedly they used him a lot at number eleven. That means something to someone in the cricketing world. I don't understand batting orders. I don't get it. But he was an air player between the uh, 1987 and 2001, and this is very early on in his England career. Because actually, if I I went back to look to who played at this test series and his name wasn't actually on the sheet interesting he tests this bat and he does a pretty good job of avoiding saying this is shit Shit. (laughs) and i think the reason he does this and the reason why most of them do this is because this had been sold as being for tomorrow's world which was a flagship part of the bbc lineup at the time and so you Mm. didn't want to look like a prat on tomorrow's world heaven forbid if you called the next big thing terrible I still remember Tomorrow's World spreading jam on a CD and wiping it clean and going, look, it still plays. (laughs) Uh, I think it was Tomorrow's World that told me that I could clean a pair of boots with a banana. I swear that's true as well. But we we come onto the bendy bat and every time the ball hits the bat, it sort of goes backwards. And you're thinking to yourself, it explains why they don't just turn around and go, this is useless. Because we come on to the next one, which is John uh, Embry, who's um, got the light on top of the helmet. And where he's a coach, he's like, yeah, it sort of makes sense because now I can see where they're looking at the ball. So from a coaching element, that would make sense. But it's it's not advertised as that. It's so they can use this at, to play night cricket. Which you can actually get equipment now for night cricket, although yeah. it is mainly like the ball glows in the dark and the stumps, I think, have some light reflective properties. It's not oh, actually a case yeah. of we're putting a headlamp on you, although you can just buy headlamps. That's the thing. This is essentially just a miner's helmet with cricket <laughs> flavour. <laughs> Literally that. It's, it's a miner's helmet with the uh, guard that comes in front of their eyes. But we get that second one, and Noel and the cricket team are finding this way funnier than the audience, who are very quiet throughout. Yeah. And then we get the third, which is a super glove for wicket keepers. <laughs> the third totally fictitious item for modern cricketers is this super glove for wicket keepers, and we asked Jack Russell for his comments. I don't think I've uh, seen a glove like this before. It seems a very strange type of wicket keeping glove. Um, 
something res resembling something from outer space, I think. I personally pr would prefer to see gloves go smaller uh, with no webbing and not the extra bits um, to make wicketkeepers keep wicket more naturally. Um, but it is very interesting and uh, it's a little bit bulky, a bit stiff. It'd uh, be interesting to see how, uh, how one would catch the ball on a regular basis in a club like this. And its appearance gets no reaction from the audience who are probably just like thinking how long till someone gets gunged I'm kind of bored with this already where's Blobby yeah where's Blobby <laughs> I saw him on live and kicking this morning I know he's somewhere near here and they gave it to Jack Russell uh, who is the only one that actually kind of is honest and just mm. goes it's shit <laughs> I want it to go the other way cricketing gloves need to be smaller not bigger and literally takes it very seriously because he's the only name out of these three that I know I think Jack Russell's a fairly well known uh, cricketing figure that even someone like me who's not into that understands that it is, he turns around and says it's like something from outer space now I'm not saying that sports people don't have much of a imagination but if he thinks that's from outer space fuck's sake don't watch Star Wars that'll baffle you there Jack <laughs> For me, though, the best bit of this entire NTV was the gotcha on the sun yes. that ran an article on the Tomorrow's World segment as if it was an actual thing that was happening. But that also means that someone in the England cricket team leaked it to the sun. Yeah, because literally that must have been whoever was in that room, like this look of, I'm definitely not leaking any other information about what we're doing out here. Sips cup of tea. <laughs> or, or cocktail. They were definitely not on tea. <laughs> but just in case the rest of the guys in the England team are glowing a bit at Alan and John and Jack's discomfort, uh, we got them to do a dance to mentally and physically <laughs> relax them before the big match. You know, a bit like the, the hacker that <laughs> the rugby guys do. And so here's the England <laughs> team. But the rest of the team don't get away without humiliation because, lo, there's some slight cultural intolerance to be had. I mean, to be fair, the Zimbabwe guy probably knew exactly what he was doing and was told, we're doing this to set these guys up and make them look like fools. So he probably was in on it. But also, that's not why the audience were laughing. That's yeah. not why the cricketers were laughing. It's aged a bit like a poor murder. Yeah, it has. It, it, it's. It's. I think the least we say about this, the better, because it was. I. I pulled a face. I've got to admit, I did pull a face. Fair enough. He's saying, you know, the same things that um, Yuri Geller's been saying uh, in the show of just pretty much win. But no, it was. Um, it's a product of its time. Just. But we'll be back for more NTV later. Oh, that fucking doorbell. Who's it now? FBI 1578. FBI 1269. Tufty Club, 1956. <laughs> I'm Agent Muddler. I'm Agent Squiggly. I'm in charge. Oh, yeah. Just because your boyfriend is head of the department? Well, that's your trouble, Muddler. You don't know who to kiss up to. Well, it wouldn't be you. Do the words ten foot, barge and pole mean anything? No, it's FBI 1578, FBI 1269 and Noel is Tufty Club 1956. That's a joke that most people today, you just hear a sonic boom as it went over their head. Uh, the Tufty Club was basically 
a meant to be a way of teaching small children how to stay safe. Yes. So, you know, Tufty the Squirrel goes, shows the dangers of swimming off the coast. Tufty the Squirrel shows the dangers of crossing the road without an adult. Tufty the Squirrel shows the dangers of TikTok. You know, all those kinds of things. <laughs> Now I want it back for the digital world. <laughs> but we have Asians, Muddler and Squiggly. Muddler being Tony Britton, Squiggly being, yes, that randy neighbour from Birds of a Feather. It's Leslie Joseph. And there's a lot of smoke and green light. Squiggly's in charge, allegedly because of nepotism. And Muddler <laughs> says he wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot barge pole. I did like their little chemistry they had going, actually. They were, really this was a lot it. of fun. This yeah. was this was a lot of fun. Leslie Joseph did appear throughout House Party, normally as, unsurprisingly, the randy neighbour who was always <laughs> trying to jump Noel's bones. What made me laugh when I was researching into this was, in my head, Birds of the Feather was like a four series thing it went on for 10 flipping years i didn't well that was its first run 10 years that went on for i did not realize it went on for so long people go to jail for less <laughs> it was definitely a mum's comedy wasn't it that oh TV very show? very much so oh, mum's comedy but muddler and squiggly definitely not an x-files reference they're here to investigate paranormal activity None of that around, just a fraudster and a combine harvester spare tyre lying around in a field. This is where Leslie, I think, crosses a line for Saturday evening television. Because she says, oh, well, we've received an intelligence of aliens landing looking for people to use in cross-breeding programmes. And while she's saying this, she's advancing on Noel with a flashlight that she is holding with one hand and stroking with another. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> There was there was a moment I was watching it going, ah, oh, that wasn't picked up by the censors. Well, it was live, baby. I suppose all, all complaints, but now she is. She's she's let's say caressing it. She's ensuring it stays rigid. <laughs> but she she turns around and says about that she really wants to watch it happen, and she's like to, saying to her. Uh, saying to know about him having a spare bed in his uh, room and he's like oh teddy no teddy teddy's that teddy's that uh, teddy's in there but oh teddy can sleep with me completely missing the point of what she's trying to get at or very aware of what she's or... trying to get at and <laughs> getting a sad little nervous behind it and then as she's asking it his voice keeps on going squeakier which uh nice use of the uh the voice changer on live tv but then teddy comes down the stairs and this is where we say about the England cricket team of the crowd not reacting. Did they have a telly? Did they know what was happening? Like, there's this weird murmuring as he comes down the stairs. Like, people are like, uh, blah, blah, blah. like talking amongst themselves almost rather than reacting to what's happening. We are onto something. Yeah. Can you make sure that Teddy is elsewhere tonight? Well, well you, ask him yourself. What? He's there. I mean, Teddy also misses his cue because the whole thing is, is Leslie Joseph just going, oh, well, can Teddy be elsewhere tonight? And I was like, well, you can ask him. Points towards the stairs. Five seconds later, Teddy appears as a six foot tall alien with a tail in striped pyjamas. That was the longest three seconds of dead air 
on this entire episode, and that includes the NTV cricket team. It was glorious. And and to be honest, that costume looked like it should have come out of Dimensions in Time, which we covered last time around. It was <laughs> glorious. It been left over. <laughs> to be honest, it more likely was. It was it's one le- of the prototypes for Blobby. <laughs> John Pertwee's Blobby. That's what that was. But anyway, they all go off. There's a slightly awkward punchline. Leslie Joseph is still being a filth monger. And the audience cheer and applaud because it's what the light-up box in the ceiling told them to do. <laughs> Cash for questions we've got. Oh, Ali Barber from the Crinkly Bottom Pantomime is spinning around there. Eight callers chosen at random from the tens of thousands that have called in in answer to the question, where is the probe, are here. I will shut it down. And of course, as always, I have absolutely no idea whether someone is going to be right or wrong we're here. Oh, crumbs. Oh, oh, what a great phone. On one. Who are you? Hello, I'm Sue Mull from Romsey. So then we come on to Cash for Questions. And the weirdest... I did, I've got to admit, I didn't see me having a second time on doing UCP to be Ali Baba. Because if you didn't know... We covered Alibaba appeared in our Ghostbusters show that we did for 1975 Ghostbusters, not the good Ghostbusters, because I'm getting a uh, baptism of fire on UCP. Thanks, Ash. Hey, at least I'm <laughs> along for the ride on this one. I'm suffering true, too. True. It's actually Luke that sat there with a cognac at the moment going, oh, I wonder how the boys are doing. Uh, have you seen Luke anyway? I haven't seen him at all. Where, where is he? I think he got lost on the way to Crinkly Bottom and ended okay. up at Dangly End. <laughs> so Alibaba gave us Sue and then Alibaba's joined on the spinning wheel by lots of other Panto people and essentially they then spin the wheel again and the order with which the Panto stars come flying off the wheel will dictate what questions she's asked and those questions if answered correctly will buy her another 20 seconds for her celebrity to go a rummaging around in the basement for cash hold it hold it which British driver almost guaranteed his Grand Prix comeback with an impressive test drive this week Nigel Mansell. Yes, 20 seconds, and away they go again. Will he be racing for Jordan? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, which adventurer was forced to abandon his trek across Antarctica this week? Uh, Ranulph Fiennes. It was Sir Ranulph Fiennes. 40 seconds, and away they go again. Some of these questions are just... You know, they're, they're asking who who's done a test drive this week in Formula One that might get a seat with Jordan, Nigel Mansell. Never happens. Uh, one of them's uh, the adventurer that had to abandon their trek across uh, the Antarctic, uh, Sir Ranulph Fiennes. Um, and then the couple, which, to be honest, I didn't guess any of these, even being a Formula One fan with the first question. But then which couple was surprised live on TV this week for... Um, uh, this is your life and i guess richard and judy because it's just a couple of the time i thought it might be the hamiltons i was somewhat relieved that it wasn't <laughs> but she gets two questions right that's 40 seconds for her celeb to grab cliff who's the celebrity Moo! no no richard and judy it was so you've only got 40 seconds for jim bowen it's a super smashing great. It's Jim Bowen. I popped huge for Jim Bowen making an appearance. Oh. I popped even huger when he um, went down the slide and immediately said the word shit. Oh, shit. I loved 
it. It was so funny. It wasn't even like he tried to stop himself. And Noel, at what, uh, Noel a couple of seconds later, just goes, yeah, sorry for that. <laughs> it was brilliant. Because by this time, uh, Jim Bowen had just stopped. Like, literally just stopped from 1981 to 1995, Bullseye. And he's such a cultural icon, isn't he? He's such a... It just doesn't matter. It just makes you smile. Like, he's rummaged around in the dark. Poor old bloke. They've stuck him in there. He's rummaged around in the dark, looking for these bags of money. And then at the end, he has to send Noel down there. Sorry, he's Noel. He has to send Liam down there to go and fetch him out. And he's totally flustered. It is, it's a lovely moment. Now he does, in his 40 seconds, grab some bags of cash. Uh, Sue, no offence, but your directions were terrible. <laughs> he grabbed them more by luck than by anything you said. However, when he emerges with Liam, he appears to have every bag. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. I thought he only had three. I swear he only had three, but I think Liam was picking them up on the way through going, oh, yes, silly, because you can hear him going, what are you doing down here? Come on, let's get going as he's walking through. He's just literally selecting them as he's walking through. Isn't he? And there's a lovely moment where he announces £800 and there's nice celebrations. Noel says on the phone to Sue, says, say thank you to Jim. And Jim picks up the phone and I swear he goes, thank you, Jim. <laughs> she doesn't just win £800, though. £800 and a ham because Jim had grabbed a giant plastic ham from the thing. Yes, Serrano ham. (laughs) I just love the fact that Jim Bowen got the phone and I think just went off to have a nice natter and ask her if she wanted to risk it all for a shot at Bully's special star prize. She basically traded in 800 quid for a caravan. (laughs) But all all the way through this, you have a a much more random moment. Like like we were saying about how this production is a bit car crash telly. There's just one moment in it that he's coming down and he's like, and this is the chi- time of the show where we ask... I mean, it did happen quite a bit, but also, boy, howdy, you want to talk about someone coming out of the closet? It's Danny LaRue. Not every one of the people that came out of the wardrobe was going for that joke, but sometimes they landed. Yeah, it landed well. (laughs) So we're back to NTV, and it's time to find out who set them up. It's David Lloyd, and for his troubles, he gets salt poured all over him. (laughs) (laughs) And doesn't really react to it whatsoever either he's because they're sort of going oh who could have set you up and he's sort of just nodding there doesn't realize the camera's on him yet again maybe that tense couple of second delay and what they do is they play with him the question of good sport which every answer is david lloyd doing something embarrassing or getting hit in the nads with a cricket ball <laughs> now we come on to the what happened next round and we can show you some cricketing action against Australia, the second test in Perth in 1974. We run the action. That's England's first 50 David, this is Jeff Thompson bowling to you. We stop the action. What happened next? I can still feel it. 
Yes, I can give you the point there. Because he certainly gave you one on the point. That's the only thing that the audience wake up for. The audience are dead as a doornail. Then they see him getting hit in the balls by a cricket ball. And they're like, ha, nut shot. Yes, we <laughs> laugh at that. It's not quite blobby, but it will do. <laughs> Guys, we do have one additional thing we want to do. And uh, this is sort of semi-serious because we really are rooting for you back in the UK. And we want to wish you the very best of luck. And we're going to try something unorthodox. Would you please welcome Yuri Geller? <laughs> Nine out of eleven watches started working. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay. But let's concentrate on the on the cricketers, the team out there. Okay. And uh, you try this for the football, and let's I, see what and we can worked. do. And it worked. When, when England played um, Spain, I did this. Right. I lifted this orange circle. Now, orange is an assertive color. Yeah. Now, all of you people in Great Britain, I know some of you will feel foolish, but please do it. I want you to get up from your seats right now. Come on, everyone, yeah. everyone all over Great Britain. And I want you to place your hands on this orange circle. And what you want to do is wish the English cricket team to win. You send them your energies. And then just because everyone's having way too much fun, Yuri Geller gets introduced back to the show. <laughs> Announcing, even though he's not meant to. Oh, oh, nine out of 11 watches have started working. We don't care about that. Sit down, Yuri. He, just, he completely shoots it down. <laughs> Noel steers the ship into Ritalin Bay and it's just a case of, <laughs> okay, back on track. Noel has to do a lot of shutting Yuri Geller up in this episode. And then Yuri wants us to stare at an orange circle. <laughs> Come on, Noel, you too. Yeah, I'm thinking very positively. Keep touching it. Yes. Another 15 seconds. You say, England will win. All right. Come on, everyone. Yep, everyone in Great Britain. And so one more time. To strangle me anyway. Touch it. And win. That's yes. Right. Okay. Gentlemen, give you the very, very best of luck. We're all thinking of you, not only success on the pitch, but from everyone in the UK. Have a great Christmas, the England cricket team. Oh, God, that was fucking cringy. That was awful. It's horrible. His explanation of like, oh, yes, I did this when England faced off against Spain. Well, the great thing is, is this whole thing of yelling win at this orange circle. So I went and had a search and I'm like, please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me. Yep, they lost. England lost 3-0 in this series. I was like, yes, yes, it didn't work. <laughs> well, this is the same year that Yuri Geller had taken credit for England beating Scotland mm. in the Euro qualifiers or whatever it was. Or the, or yeah, yeah something along those lines. He claimed he was overhead hovering in a helicopter and caused the ball <laughs> to move off the penalty spot three inches. Oh my god! I just imagined that, like this old-fashioned blimp flying over, almost like Dan Housen-like. <laughs> In this very different house party, with a touch of spookiness to it, we move on to the point where I'd love to be able to say I got you, Uri Geller. Regrettably, I think I should be getting the trophy because he was quite. Spectacular, extraordinary, and you'll see why in just a moment. But anyway, this is a terrible gotcha for a number of reasons, and I think the best way to set it up is to actually let Noel set it up as he does mm. on the show, because genuinely, I actually felt bad for Edmunds at this point, because this is a ropey end to a worse episode. 
we broke a rule. Normally, when we set people up for gotchas, we talk to a manager, an agent, we talk to the family. In this case, we didn't talk to anybody at all. We did not want to alert Yuri to this. We told him that there was a journalist from the Radio Times who wanted to interview him. And we took him to a hotel in the Cotswolds that he had never ever been to, with the promise that he would meet Gillian Anderson from the X-Files. Well, the journalist, of course, was one of our actresses. So, no one from Yuri Geller's camp was involved. We meet Amanda Wise, who was playing the Radio Times journalist that was part of this interview setup, where they were also meant to meet Gillian Anderson, mm -hmm. which I guess is why we had the X-Files thing earlier in the night. You can put, like an X-Files episode, you can put all these pieces together and see the dots joining together, but I think it would have really helped if maybe they'd actually had Gillian Anderson in the, in the um, not even in the gotcha, just in the house party or That's something. At the end of the day, this whole thing of that they didn't speak to anyone in their camp. Bullshit. I think this is the biggest... This is the biggest advertisement ever. We laugh that he's got that jumper on again. Um, but this is, to me, just like a massive... They've gone, to his, they've gone to his people and they've gone, actually, no, we don't want to set it up like that. We don't, we don't want to do it like that. We want to use this as a publicity stunt for Yuri. That's how it feels to me. I disagree, and the pure reason I disagree is Geller is doing his normal bullshit. I mean, we will mm. get into it, but Geller is doing his normal bullshit, and he only really seems to become suspicious when unusual things actually start happening, because this is why it's difficult to con a con man. If his entire hustle is based around mentalism and telepathic drawing mm. and spoon-bending and clocks starting or stopping, or watches starting or stopping, or this, that, and the other. If that's the entire basis for his act, and then it starts happening without him being in on it, mm. he knows something up. And also, this is a man that, at this point in his career, had spent over 20 years dodging people like the amazing Randy, Johnny Carson, all the various scientists that tried to get him in lab conditions to either prove or disprove his abilities. Mm -hmm. We'll get into this as the um, gotcha goes along, but I don't think he was in on it from his production crew standpoint, but I think that the amount of promotion that he gets in this episode of House Party is damage control on the part of Noel and his production team. Uh, this this <laughs> is, in the true sense of the word, extraordinary. Yeah, completely extraordinary. But, uh, I must tell you that I, I totally believed and I had my, my staff photographers Yuri, and my writers. Yuri, be quiet. Okay. <laughs> you never stop talking. It, it, was, it was nothing like any other gotcha that we've done before, and I've done dozens over the years. And uh, they're completely improvised, and yeah. there are no scripts. Yeah. And this time there was a point where I saw that Yuri looked at me, and I knew, you know, the game was up. Whatever yeah. I did after that, he knew that I wasn't who I said I was. So we also meet Amanda Wise, who was playing the Radio Times journalist. She was a gotcha regular. She also appeared in audiences for other things. And, like, you know, she, she wasn't in every gotcha, but she was one of the regular players. And actually, given her performance in this, I can see why. She rolls with the punches, and she's a great improviser. Mm -hmm. And immediately, Geller tries to cut her off, and Noel has to shut him down again. And he's like, no, I'm talking to this other person. Shut up, Geller. You've had enough. He even announces to the crowd, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> no. And that's coming from Edmunds. Tell me, you, you, um, what do you call yourself? Your, your 
We cut to the restaurant and what we get is Yuri coming in, sitting down with Amanda, defining himself as a paranormalist, also wearing the jumper, promoting his magazine. And you can see that Yuri is assessing his surroundings. He's looking at... He's not so much looking at Amanda. He is looking at the waiters. He's looking at the other tables. He's looking at the room. He is basically being prepared to be caught for something. Does he think it's a gotcha? No. But he knows it's a setup. Don't think he knows. He suspects it's a setup because here is my thought. As the gotcha goes on, Mm-hmm. More people come into the restaurant. Eventually, he ends up doing some mentalism for people in this restaurant. I am willing to bet that once this interview was booked, once the Radio Times had made this appointment with Yuri Geller, where he was also going to meet Julian Anderson, Geller tried to get some of his people booked into the restaurant to enable him to do feats of mentalism. Mm. The restaurant would be entirely booked out because of Noel's people. Yeah. And that fact that he couldn't get a reservation at the restaurant would set him on edge. Because he does a very, very basic magician's act with her. And that is, draw me a picture. Now, I saw this at a conference for my work this year, and exactly the same picture was drawn by both. It was a square house, two windows, with a chimney and smoke coming out. So that must well that might well be a very easy one to go in with. So he's going in with that sort of trick and that that um, illusion straight off the bat with the journalist. And then he's got I don't know with the spoon bending and things like that. That that's what gets me. Right. Let's start with the telepathic drawing, which we got a little bit of a clip of here. When you finish your drawing, photograph it with your mind. Then turn your pad upside down, put your hand on it. Then I'll turn back to you. I'll open my eyes. And I want you to stare into my face and think of the drawing. When I, when, when I say think of the drawing, visualize it in your mind. I'm not looking. Go ahead and draw. But keep it very simple. <laughs> now, there's a couple of ways this can be done, one of which is just absolute guesswork. The other of which, which we might see more of if we saw this footage unedited, is um, suggestion. The power of suggestion, of, you know, making it so through conversation that you've had with your subject that they're thinking about a house, they're thinking about a drawing a house or, you know, they're thinking about drawing a car or a dog or whatever. That's one way to stand a pretty good chance of drawing the same thing. The other thing is, Yuri turns away and covers his face. He doesn't turn all the way around, he turns to the side. Yeah. And he puts one hand over... Now, he doesn't need to see the piece of paper to see what she's drawing, but if he can see the pen, he can see the direction the pen's moving in. That's the other one they do, which is where they can't see the piece of paper, but they can see the direction the pen is moving in. So we'd see a vertical, a horizontal, another vertical, maybe a diagonal, a diagonal. Maybe he'd then see a scribble of a curly smoke. 
And statistically speaking, what could that be? Well, it could be a house with smoke coming out of the chimney. That's the other way to do it. So yeah, it's a combination of those things. That right there, that description I've given is how most magicians and illusionists will do it. Mm-hmm. Other than just being an out-and-out plant. And it's 99% of the time how Yuri Geller does it. But he also makes sure that he has the caveat in there of, but this may not work. Mm-hmm. And even Geller admits, it says, oh yeah, there are magicians who can do this with trickery. But with me, <laughs> power of my mind. <laughs> the aliens the aliens gave it to me <laughs> james randy stated on this particular little parlor trick if geller is truly using his mind to perform these feats he's doing it the hard way because because the other ways are way easier <laughs> and the thing is he does miss some details he doesn't get it 100 percent right mm. he misses the small details and what wouldn't the small details have big pen movements true and then he's not going to be able to map that out in his head of what direction it's going is it Normally, most gotchas take around 90 minutes to film and then they're edited down to that five minutes. Do you remember with Dimensions in Time, we talked yep. about the five-minute sweet spot? Mm-hmm. That's what we've got here. The five-minute sweet spot of how long this should run. So a lot is cut out, but he asks for a teaspoon. This is his most infamous trick. This is what put him on the map. You can watch if you want to. This is going to be Look, you see, it's beginning. Oh. Oh, my God! Hmm? <laughs> See, it's bending upwards. Just now. See, it's curling upwards. I, I didn't come to do a show here, but... How did you do that? I'm doing it with my mind. Is it hot? So, no, it's totally cold. But, yes, of course. Look, it's still And he gets a teaspoon. What I'm guessing he does here is we don't see the immediate moment the teaspoon is handed over or how he handles it. But I would imagine that immediately he puts a small bend, a very subtle bend, but a small bend. And then when he's rubbing the teaspoon, he's got his thumb and forefinger on his other hand on the um, the, the spoon the of the teaspoon, the curve. And if he moves his thumb and forefinger in directions, it will cause the spoon to tilt up which, if you've got a curve in the teaspoon, will cause it to appear more curved. Yeah, because it's the illusion from the natural shape of the teaspoon. Yeah, and especially if you're controlling the angle that people are seeing this from, which he is because he's cupping it in his hands and therefore the only angle on the spoon is the angle that she's seeing it from and, in fact, the camera over her shoulder is seeing it from. And, of course, by this point, other people in the restaurant are watching this and he's inviting them to watch because he loves an audience. Mm-hmm. Like like most showmen, he loves an audience. And he shows that it does have a bend. And then he immediately stands up to show it to people. And at that point, he's got the teaspoon in both hands. And when he hands it to the woman at the next table, it's suddenly a drastic 90-degree bend. And that clip of footage was used the very next year on a Channel 4 programme about exposing mentalists. Oh, really? Yeah. Noel caught him. They may have edited it, they may have cut it down, they may have trimmed it, they may have done whatever they could do to avoid like litigation. caught the... Yeah. The and his excuse is, oh, it will continue to do it for another three minutes. And it's like, mate, it went from being slightly curved to being a right angle. <laughs> Knock it off. And it makes me wonder, what did the cameras catch that we didn't see? Yeah, because there, there's... There's one point with one of the camera angles which made me think of, you know, if if you're 
saying what you're saying that you don't think like i i automatically thought like this was some form of marketing setup because there's one camera angle as well which happens later on so towards the end of this which made me feel like it was being just filmed it was just a cameraman standing there because seemed a bit jittery which maybe it was behind a bit of furniture but it was yeah well there was a curtain that noel was hiding behind with a camera guy so maybe that was his quite possibly then i'll tell you something that happened to a very credible person sorry mr keller nice to meet you thank you very much for that uh, wonderful but there's there's something i need to say um do you remember a television program that you did a short while ago called beyond belief yes you 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 told people to uh, get their clocks and and put them in front of a television absolutely amazing but there's something at home we have a, a wonderful big grandfather clock yes, yes. and uh, well at the exact time and i know it was the exact time of your program yes it broke wow you mean it stopped it stopped oh, it was working it was an energy surge were you all amazed by that i'd rather put out actually <laughs> yeah. i think maybe we cost a lot to repair the clock. 150 pounds. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> but we come to the next the next uh, interaction that Yuri has. And this is another reason why I just I, I literally I thought to myself that it was some form of setup because of how nice this all ended because gotchas were always quite confrontational. They used to put people in very awkward situations. Maybe it was because they knew of the character that they had with them. But it was this moment of somebody saying, well, look, you did this TV show and you broke my grandfather clock and it cost 150 quid to fix. 150 quid. And he says, well, I'll do. I'll send you my latest book and a bit of crystal that I've empowered with special power and special energies. And they just go, ah, oh, that's nice of you. Thank you. And I thought, hang on, hang on. Gotchas were always to put, maybe it was because of who he is that they did do that then. But that's what made me go a bit like uptight, like, oh, is this some ploy? The thing is, is a lot of the, the skill of the gotcha relies on the person being rattled mm. or shaken or unsure how to react. Geller is immediately just like he's shaking hands and when they say about the clock breaking he isn't shocked he's he's like that's amazing that's incredible the power of telekinetic energy (laughs) and when and the thing is he's like well you know it costs quite a bit to get it repaired and the woman that the guy's with shouts 150 quid (laughs) and Geller doesn't even flinch yeah and he's just like, well, look, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll tell you what I do. Did I send you the book, send you this crystal, this kit. You'll love it. It'll be wonderful. And he's shaking the hands. He's doing everything that someone would do to disarm the opposition. It's a sales technique, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely a sales technique. So really, the only escalation point from here would have been if the man or the woman had started shouting, which at that point, it becomes less a gotcha and more... It, you know, it stops being, I think, endorsing the nature of the gotcha. I mean, sure, some of them have been confrontational, but they've never been physical. You know, it, it's that yeah. kind of thing. So immediately disarms them. And interestingly, I found a quote from Yuri Geller himself when he was giving a tour of his house in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. He's still got his gotcha. Is he really? Yeah. And he just said, oh, this is my gotcha from when I was set up by Noel's house party. I believed it was all genuine until the moment they sent their car for me. Then I had a psychic flush that there was something not right. Maybe the car did set him on edge. Maybe there was something about the driver. Maybe there was uh, something about the sort of car that was sent that didn't link up. Mm -hmm. Not entirely sure. But according to him, 
it cost £50,000 on the setup in this restaurant to get all this set up. No. What? All in all or what they paid him? Oh, what they paid... <laughs> no, what they paid for the restaurant setup. Wow. That's quite a lot for what it is. That's one hell of a French soup. <laughs> <laughs> we get this bit with this guy with his grandfather clock and then the food's brought along. But at this point, you can tell Geller is like, something's up. I mean, a good con man is always paranoid and always looking over his shoulder because he's always yeah. ready to move on to the next thing. So he starts to question the interviewer, including saying, what's your real name? What if I... Do, do, don't you think that... What's your real name? What's your real name? Teresa. That's your yeah. full name? Yeah. Yes. Um, where were you born? I was born in, in Essex, in South Whose idea was it for you to meet me? It was uh, it was a joint thing through the Radio Times um, and myself. Um, this story about us meeting here is it really true? Why? What, what do you mean? No, because I feel something psychically. Like he, I don't think he thinks he's being gotchered. He thinks he's being set up by like a cook report or mm. you know. Uh, dispatches or or something along those lines or pan serious. panorama yeah just something to expose him as a fraud and he's like uh where is Gillian like why why isn't Gillian Anderson here do you know those people with the clock why were you chosen for this story mm -hmm. which she gives a great answer from which is like Fantastic well my editor actress yeah she's like well my editor knew I was interested in this kind of thing and she's like also you know I'm Jewish <laughs> which I'm just like oh that was clever that was very smart and then Yuri keeps going. He's like, why was this hotel chosen? Where, Where did the other born? dining guests come from? Aren't you a long way from London if you're from London? He's really good at working out he's been stuffed. Mm -hmm. And at this point, you can tell that I think Noel and co were panicking a bit because they activated their other next big trick, which is the collapsing shelf of crockery. Yeah, you missed it. Here it is. Now that was paranormal. See? That was... There you go. Now that was paranormal. And you know why it happened? Because he made, he made a joke. Because he made a joke. And Yuri is not flapped by it. He just immediately owns it. He's going, see, this is the paranormal. This is happening. This is happening because that guy made a joke. Yeah, it's all because the power of his joke and stuff like that. Now, one thing that I would love to see is the end of this because it's cut off really short. Be that because it's Noel's house party and nothing can be over five minutes. Or they were overrunning. Or they were overrunning, yet yeah, live TV, uh, as we've seen, as you've reported in the past with uh, Games Master. You know, it, it's maybe that's why it was cut short, but there was, there was an element of that you never saw him supposedly tear down this curtain and there's no one inside it going, hello, <laughs> you know, there's no moment of that. And it just cuts off very short, and then we're back in the studio. What happened if, if you hadn't had the ability here? Amazing, absolutely incredible. I, I just uh, found that astonishing because, um, firstly, it ended before I was expecting it to. I remember <laughs> I, I tore the curtain out of the ground, and there you were with the camera. You'd never been to that hotel, and never, you went to this no. little room. Before Noel was expecting to be back in the studio mm. as well, he thought there was going to be more to this. But he doesn't stay flustered for long. He's like, well, yeah, we rumbled them. <laughs> You're being very 
calm about this. Like, I was expecting this huge rant. You're, I think you're being very measured there, Mr. Versus. I'm being very about. measured in this because this gotcha, while it didn't go according to plan, did more harm than good for Geller. Like, the spoon footage was used multiple times to show him doing how he does his fast feat of mentalism. But also, I think it's an important lesson of don't try and con a con man. Don't blag a blagger. He can, he can claim the ghost of Elvis appeared and told him it was a setup. He can claim all the psychological flim-flam. But realistically, in 1996, he'd spent upwards of 20 years at that point dodging being exposed. He knew what he was doing. He knew what to look out for. Not only that, but he would do a lot of things involving plants and actors himself. Mm-hmm. He's not going to sue me. I'll say it. Fuck it. I don't care. So, of course, <laughs> he would be able to spot... He'd be able to spot tells that maybe we're not even aware of. Mm. But the simple fact that this footage didn't go away, and also, apparently, if this footage gets posted to YouTube, takedowns often follow it Ah. because he does copyright claims on it. So he's literally, well, he's still covering his back to this day, isn't he? In fact, I've got a clip from YouTube, thankfully not being taken down, <laughs> which is from the programme that used this clip while talking about Geller and exposing him. So I'm going to drop that in now. At a restaurant table, Geller bent a spoon a little and then the other diners started to take an interest. I, I didn't come to do a show here, but... Uh, with my, I'm doing it with my mind. It clearly seems to me as though he bent the spoon as he was standing up. Yes, of course. Yes. Then he walked over to one of the other diners and handed the spoon to her. And it's clear that the spoon is bent a lot more when it leaves his hand than when it went into his hands. And I wonder why he needed, with this light object like a spoon, to put it over and hold it in both hands and why this suspicious move was made. But Noel hands Yuri the gotcha, despite it not really being a gotcha, because he never actually got him on the gotcha. We never got the payoff. And you, yeah, as you said, why didn't we get the ending? Was it an overrun? Was it legal? Was it avoiding problems because i don't think at the point they cut away yuri looked pissed off yes he was ready to you know throw hands (laughs) he was good to go and maybe there was a decision of now we probably shouldn't show this Mm -hmm. who knows it would be interesting if that ever comes out that ever comes out and imagine it the bit of film has been already filmed across uh and reused for something else so if we ever do well with what they're finding nowadays with lost episodes bits and pieces maybe that footage will come who knows and Noel gets a alien head for all of his work <laughs> which looked like it cost a fiver from Camden and may have had a bong <laughs> hidden in the back originally I was literally saying, thinking is that is that one with a, bo- a glass bong in the back <laughs> But Liam enters to end the segment with more updates of what's happening around the country, poor state of the cutlery and all that. And we then get a live phone call from a Claire. Claire. This this sounds staged. Uh, we should have Claire in Oxford on the line. Just have a, is that Claire? Yes, I know. Hello, Claire. What happened to you the moment Yuri appeared? <laughs> I went and got a hunter watch that my husband had been given for his 21st. Yeah. Hadn't worked for 24 years. Put it on top of the television. Did what I was supposed to do. Yelled work and felt a complete idiot. Picked it up, and the second hand was going round, and it's been going ever since. Absolutely amazing. amazing. Great. Thank you for that call, and thank, thank you. you to everyone. A little too clipped, a little too prepared, and the phone line is a little too clear. That's exactly what I thought, even though it's like so specific. The major thing for me was it was really specific, but the other thing was, as you said, 
it was just so clear. The line was so clear. It was like, now that's somebody in a studio. <laughs> you compare the quality of voice here to Sue from Ramsey. Yes. No, that's it. But that wraps up the gotcha. And so it's time to start wrapping up the show. And thank God we're going to go out on a bit of a high note. But now a little bit of music on the party. I've got a Christmas gift for everyone in the house in a moment. But I think before the sugar, we should have some spice. The Spice Girls! Even if Victoria forgets her mic exists for the first bit of the first <laughs> chorus. What do you mean? Yeah, she forgot her mic existed for the whole existence of the Spice Girls, didn't she? <laughs> it was actually a very cool way to go to go out. Mm. We managed to get the full song in, pretty much. Uh, they do make the mistake of occasionally cutting to the audience, who do look a little bored. If it was a wannabe or something like that, you'd have the audience clapping along and bopping. But this is a a soppy romantic song so they wouldn't and also it's the first time in this whole episode that i went oh yeah it's a christmas episode because there's some nice little shots going around the christmas tree and it was like ah see now this feels christmasy (laughs) but the song ends and then the episodes end with everyone who was on screen getting on set with a little bit of the bubbly and Liam going to his other namesake for the finale because he gets some giant Christmas puddings which he smashes with a mallet all over the front row. Like Gallagher, the American prop comedian. Hashtag great joke. (laughs) Hashtag a joke. And that wraps it up for this episode of Noel's House Park. We, We can't say Christmas special because... Noel did Noel's Christmas presents every Christmas uh, Christmas Day. And so this isn't a technical Christmas special, but that wraps up the episode. It's the closest Noel's house party this, you know, to Christmas Day. Yes, because he even says at the end, like, I won't be around for next week on doing a house party. So what are your final thoughts on this episode? <laughs> There are moments here which remind me why I liked Noel's house party. Yeah. Uh, mainly the um, the cash for questions bit. I thought that was really fun. To a degree, the gotcha, not because it was a good gotcha, but because it reminded me of the gotchas that were fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the random celebrity appearances, the moments where it goes wrong, where, you know, Carol Smiley will get pulled up by a, by a <laughs> flight rig in the uh, Peter Pan get-up. The Spice Girls just being menaces. It made me want to watch more Noel's House Party, but it made me want to watch more series one through four of Noel's House Party. Or maybe just go to the very end and watch the very last episode and just see what they changed going the other direction. Yeah, see how much this sort of new direction took them. Because as I think we both said at the beginning, I don't think either of us were watching at this point. Not many people were by the sounds of it. No, although the ratings would continue to fall and... I'm reminded of the last words that Noel had on Noel's house party of the last broadcast. And he described the end of house party as the end of an era, an end of a, a, an entire kind of like part of BBC television, which in fairness it was. And he says he hopes history is kind to us. 
there are much better episodes of Noel's House Party to cover that would be much easier to be kind to. But this mm-hmm. this episode does highlight the dangers of a show that is trying to reinvent itself without knowing what it actually wants to be. One thing I would recommend is if you go onto the BBC website, I might see if I can find a link and I'll keep it in the notes. There is actually a retrospective on Noel's House Party showing a bunch of best of bits. This was done in like 2012, 2013. But it also includes a bunch of behind-the-scenes bits, including uh, Noel addressing the audience before and after shows, oh, that's cool. clips from rehearsals, because obviously a lot of the sketches did have rehearsals earlier in the day, and if it required audience interaction for those bits, they'd just have production crew sit in. So it's kind of fascinating to see how you rehearse live television. Mm-hmm. So that that's a pretty cool one. And I'm glad we got to do this episode. I, I wish we'd got to do a better episode. I don't know. I don't think it's in fitting of this in between old UCP and new UCP. I think it's very much of what we've been covering. Plus, it's always more interesting to talk about an absolute shit show. (laughs) Yeah, because as I keep making the joke, it it has been really fun, the episodes we're covering. And our UCP Extra coming up is equally as... What's the word? It's weird. (laughs) Weird is the way. Because if you are a patron, then you will be picking up in two weeks' time. If you're listening to this as a patron, you'll be listening picking up in two weeks' time. On the 28th, Thursday 28th, you'll be picking up Christmas Comes to Packland with me and Mr. Ash Versus. Our final episode before we enter UCP 2.0. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing Christmas, a wonderful time with friends, with family, however you choose to spend it. I hope it's a good one. Thank you so much for listening throughout 2023 as we've seen the end of one era of UCP. We've welcomed a new friend on board and we look towards the start of 2024. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us on Noel's House Party, on UCP in 2023 or what you're looking forward to next year you can do so on Twitter over at underconsolepod on Instagram and threads at under.console or via email to feedback at underconsultation.com and if you want to come and join a like-minded community full of blobby enthusiasts then you can come over to the discord channel where you'll find a link in the show notes below And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at our Patreon, details of which can be found in the show notes. At the £5 level, you will get early and ad-free access to upcoming episodes. And at the £10 level, you'll get read out in this roll call like these lovely following people. Andrew Greenwood, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chrissy26, David Palmer, Gordon Aitken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mankagirl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Link Campbell, Mark A, Matty Boo, Misha Summer, Nick Lebrecht, Reese Wynn, Sean Dunn, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, Tom, Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, Wilsey, and Xanderthal. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Christmas is here. Get your mince pies in your stomachs, your leftover pizzas on the griddle, because we will be joining you in 2024 for UCP 2.0. Have a great evening, everybody, and a Merry Christmas! Ho, ho, ho. Good night.